This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Mark Lowry is the head coach of El Paso Locomotive FC. Mark is somebody that I came across when he was actually coaching in the NASL with Jacksonville Armada. And at the time when he was there, Mark was posting videos of his team playing amazing, beautiful possession-based soccer, not only against other NASL teams, but against MLS teams, against teams that they faced off in the Open Cup. And it really, really captured my attention. And I've been trying to get Mark on this podcast for about two years now. And I'm glad that it finally happened. Now that Mark is in Texas on a completely different uh, mission with his coaching and, and in a different club, in a different league, it was nice to kind of catch up and figure out how he got to where he is today. And I was pleasantly surprised that Mark didn't hold anything back. We spent a lot of time talking about how he was able to navigate that transition from NESL to his next to his next position in the USL and how he was able to keep control of the locker room, how he was able to mentally uh, keep himself uh, fresh and prepared and, and able to come to work every day during that incredibly rough period that Jacksonville Armada was going through. And then uh, ultimately in the conversation, we transitioned to you know, what he's doing at El Paso Locomotive and what he sees himself doing in the future. Um, couple, A uh, couple of notes that I wrote down. Um, I'm looking at my notepad right now. Open with three exclamation points behind it. Uh, at one point, he shares a story, and I just I couldn't believe that he was opening it up that much. Uh, honest with three exclamation points behind it. Because again, you know, another story, and I just couldn't believe how honest Mark was being with uh, with what he was telling me. And and then there's a bunch of other like little sound bites in there that are are really interesting. And so, like I've said before in previous podcasts, I think um, with John Kakoris and Jose Lopez, um, again, I would I would recommend just grabbing a pen and paper with this one and writing down some of the quotes that 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 Mark says, um, and just trying to learn as much from this man as possible. I think he's a valuable resource. He's gone through just about everything you can go through as an American soccer coach, even though he's, uh, he's from the other side of the pond, but he's, he's been through it all and he's not afraid to share what, what he's learned. Um, yeah, you can find, uh, you can find Mark on social media. It's at Mark Lowry. Uh, you can follow El Paso locomotive on social media as well. It's at El Paso Locomotive FC. I'll link to both of those in the write-up of this podcast, which is available on 343coaching.com. And if you want to start developing your players and your teams to their full potential using gold standard methods, it makes sense for you to get access to our 343 Premium Membership Program, which is also available on 343coaching.com. It is a powerful and effective online education program for coaches who take their craft seriously and want to get the most out of themselves and their teams. When you sign up, you get 24-7 access to a proven methodology and you are instantly connected to a nationwide network of other ambitious, like-minded coaches. You also get access to videos of real training sessions and real games. And along with that, you get eBooks, audio lessons, and classroom presentations to help you learn the 343 way of playing soccer. 
all of the course material is conveniently delivered to you in an easy to use online modules and lessons for a fraction of the price of other licenses and courses that are out there. That means that there is no time off work, no out of state trips, no wondering if you'll be accepted into the course or not. None of that. You're able to get the education you want when you want it without any of the red tape. And best of all, you learn from Brian Kleiben, a coach that has proven that these methods work here in the United States. Brian's teams have been to the Development Academy finals multiple times, and players that he is responsible for developing, like Ulianas, Alex Mendez, Efra Alvarez, Kobe Hernandez Foster, have all played key roles for their youth national teams in major international tournaments. So if any of that interests you, you can learn more or you can sign up and start learning how to coach possession soccer today by visiting 343coaching.com. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast with Mark Lowry. Is this your this is your first season at El Paso or second? First, because we're this we're a franchise club. We're a first year franchise in the USL, so um, this is my first year here. It's a club's first year. Got it, got it. Yeah, so it's been uh, yeah, it's been probably like a year and a half or two years since uh, since we've been trying to trying to do this. I think if I remember correctly, I, I started to to catch wind of you when I started to take a deeper look at NASL and. And I was, I think I interviewed Robert Palmer and yeah. And that's when I, that's when I kind of came across your work and you've been phenomenal at posting videos and, and just content. You're very, you're very active on Twitter, which I feel like is abnormal for, um, a professional coach. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I need to do, I need to, I'm posting many much kind of football stuff videos lately. Um, I did a lot of that, more of that Jackson. And to be honest, the reasoning behind that was, it was kind of a little political as well. There was, you know, with the NASL folding, there was so much good football in the NASL and no one really took notice of it too much. Just the politics behind it. And then we got to MPSL, but we still had good players. So I just wanted to kind of shine a light on the fact that, you know what, there's, there's some real football being played in this league, this level. It just got kind of pushed to the side for, for whatever reason. And, really wasn't fair and a lot of people players coaches you know just just kind of it wasn't for football reasons so i was just trying to shine a lot on the football side of it you know no it's it, it's important and, and so you you did that consciously then like you created the content or captured the content released it with that with that idea in mind yes yeah that was that absolutely there was that um you know for example we played we because you know we've gone from being an nsl team having players still on contract to trying to scrounge through a few MPSL games with some good players still. And so we went and got a, kind of arranged a lot of friendlies against, we did some M MLS kind of preseason stuff, played DC United over in Tampa. And I'll be honest, John, we smacked the shit out of them. <laughs> um, and, and I wanted to kind of like show that the, the gap is not that big if the coaching's right. And, you know, MPSL, NSL, whatever you want to call us, label us, like, focus on the football and the quality and, and the way we're trying to play and so well, yeah it was very intentional on my part oh that's that's brilliant man and 
I think it's in, I think it's important too. And it's nice, especially probably for the, for the guys that were on the team to know that they had a coach that was like, Hey, I, I have your back 100%. Yeah. They loved it. The guys loved it. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool, man. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about like that transition between NASL and NPSL and, and how you, how you not only just, you know, kept the roster together, but then rebuilt it and then, and we're still, still able to, to salvage something out of that? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, that was a, that was a really interesting time personally, professionally, you know, for the club itself and kind of everyone involved. It was really, it's been an emotional roller coaster because, We'd had a pretty good year for the club Jacksonville had. It was the, the, that was their, I think it was Jacksonville Armada's third or fourth season as a professional club. And it was our best season performance-wise on the field with a lot of adversity. We didn't have an owner to start the season, so we were league-funded. Basically, every owner, they all the, the seven owners in the league kind of threw some money in a pot, and that was our budget, essentially, for players. Um, so you can imagine it wasn't a great budget. Um, we were meant to finish bottom of that league, um, but but they needed us. They needed the teams to keep the league going. So it was it was never one's best interest for Jacksonville Mark to keep playing. So that's why the ownerships, the other ownerships, kind of got together and did that. Um, but essentially, we were league funded, and we started really well. We got some good results. Got, got some just good pros, good players in, and played good football, and we're having a good time really. And, and it was a pretty successful season. We finished. One place outside the playoffs, last day of the season, decided it. Um, and it was my first season as a first full season as a professional coach at a professional level with a, you know, running the first team as a head coach. I've been assistant for a couple of years prior to that and uh, Tony Miola and kind of some interim stuff myself. But in terms of me being kind of the leader of the team from the head coach, just now was my first year as a head coach. So having a good year, I kind of thought built some momentum personally. Um, the team and the club had, you know, started to build some momentum on the field with results. And then Robert Palmer came in as, as an O took over just, just over halfway through the season. So the club itself actually started to get in a really good place. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the stuff that was going on behind the scenes between the leagues, between the, the federation and kind of that... Um, can't think of the word, but the, the, the sanctioning of the leagues, you know, Division 1, Division 2, Division 3, all of that stuff, and NASL, I guess, failing in their attempt to get Division 2 status, then giving it to USL, um, you know, kind of put an end, and it was, I don't think, look, I, there was a lot said, I don't think that was intentionally to end NASL, I think there was, I personally feel like the NASL leadership should have just accepted the Division Three status, continued as a professional league, because what was happening was, you know, the, 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 those sanctions didn't really affect the quality on the field, if you know what I mean. It wasn't, you know, like in England where Division One, Division Two, Division Three, that there's a disparity in levels and quality. Well, that wasn't the case here because the sanctioning was based on other things, not not the players you had on the field or how much you paid the players or the quality players you had or the type of football you played. It was based on various other you know, other kind of things. So I would, I personally would have liked them just to, you know, respect the decision made by the Federation, accept Division Three status. USL was doing some great things in terms of capturing some good markets, building their brand. You know, US that did the two conferences. Uh, you know, it, USL was going in a great direction. So credit to them, they, they deserve the Division Two status, in my opinion. 
Um, so I would like, you know, NSL to kind of, and I've spoken to a few people about this, except the Division Three status, kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit, because uh, this happened every year. The sanctioning happens every year. Go back to the drawing board, figure out how to grow the clubs and add more clubs, good markets, keep clubs alive, sustainable, and then go back in a year or two for, uh, and, and ask kind of for Division Two sanctioning. And, and there's no reason why that couldn't have happened, but I guess, you know, they didn't want to go to Division Three, so the clubs kind of, a couple of clubs here and there left to jump over to USL, which really, I said, really, really, I mean, we had eight teams it was, which I think was the minimum required for a professional league. So once a couple of teams then decided to move over to USL because uh, whether it's a Division Three status or just the, the uncertainty of the league itself, um, it really kind of, that, that was the end of the NASL. You know, there was just not enough teams to continue. Um, we're probably down to four or five teams at that point. You know, it's a shame because they're really good quality teams, quality markets. You look at, you look at what Miami and Cosmos, well, what I did in terms of the, 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 the type of players they brought to the U.S. You know, there's some big names. You go back to Raul, Marcus Center a few years ago, and then even, you know, more recently with what Miami did uh, and, 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 you know, the Cosmos did as well with, it was, it was really good football. It was a really good level of football and for that to disappear was, 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 was a shame. But, you know, we, we as a club as Jacksonville Armada decided to kind of honor contracts. We had, we had a few players that were kind of a multi-year deals. Um, and we wanted to honor that. So we decided to continue as a professional team, if you will, but, find a way to find quality games, you know, play in a league that give us some competition. You know, we had Open Cup, we had various other outlets to, to allow us to go get after it. And and really for me, it was, a, it, was, it was challenging because, you know, going from a good year as a professional coach, kind of feeling like you were going down a level, we had to find other ways to, 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 to kind of get excited about it. And then that meant, that meant focusing on Open Cups. And, and, and that meant going and finding games against MLS teams. You know, we, we played DC United in preseason. We traveled down to Orlando City one day and played them in kind of a behind closed door game. And there was a couple of other things we did. You know, we beat Tampa Bay Rowdies in Open Cup, which was a great night. Um, so we found ways to give the players the, the football they required, the, the development, you know, that, that always has to happen, whether they're professionals, amateurs. The development of the player is always at the forefront of what we do. We want to make players better, and and, and I think that can happen no matter how old the player is or whatever level, what, what level they've played at in the past or, or how much money they're making, frankly. The player can get better every day. So we really focused on that, and, and, and we experimented as well a little bit tactically. We experimented various things. I mean, on goal kicks, we had we had one of our players take goal kicks, and our goalkeeper step outside the 18 to receive, and I just... We we just did various things that kept kind of football alive in our minds, you know, and in our and, and in our hearts. And we have to keep getting better as coaches and staff. And and it was a good year for that. It was a very challenging year, um, but we found ways to get through it. Um, you know, hoping that NASL might come back in a year or so, or or something like that. But I, in the end, personally, for me, I had to make come towards towards the end of that year. I think that was twenty. That 2018, yeah, yeah, 2018. I had to make a decision personally. Um, 
kind of what my next step would be. Um, I wanted to stay in Jacksonville. I had. They honored my contract. They were great to me. Robert Palmer was unbelievable. I have a fantastic relationship with Nathan Walter, who's the GM and president. Um, so to leave was, was a really tough decision, but I just felt like I had to get back in, you know, the quote-unquote pro game, if you will, um, just, just to keep, keep... It was more just to keep developing as a coach. You know, I didn't want to lose the momentum that we we kind of gained um, and our right gained, and, and I wanted to get back into it, and, and El Paso was, was a great opportunity for me to do that and really challenge myself to get in other ways. And, but, you know, I'm grateful for the time that I had at Jacksonville in NASL, and even the year we spent in MPSL, there was a, a lot of growth that happened that year, a lot of challenges, a lot of a lot of trials and tribulations for the club. How, how we were going to manage it as people, as, as kind of leaders of the club was another challenge, but it was a good challenge to go through. And there was definitely a lot of growth for everybody. A lot of learning happened. And, and you know, I do believe that Jacksonville itself has a, has a, a, a bright future over the next couple of years. I don't want to say I revived because I've never gone away and, and I've kept momentum going. But I believe there's something something good is on the horizon for that club and that city because it's, it's a special place. I want to I want to touch on something that you that you brought up uh, twice actually. So you mentioned that you you were you kind of thought that NASL should just accept the the D three status for the time being, just play, just continue to 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 stay a league, to stay alive because the quality of the football was good, even though it would have been labeled as Division three. And then uh, and then just a moment ago, you mentioned that that you were kind of itching after all that, you know, the dust settled, whatever, that you were kind of itching to get back into the professional environment. And so here, here's one thing that I that I know popped up multiple times during the NASL tornado of events that happened for, for that year and a half period, right? Is that is that players and coaches and owners and everybody felt like they were, yeah, they were being relegated from the professional game and putting and being put into an amateur status. And so that, whether that's true or not on paper, Right, that's mentally and physically what it felt like to to a lot of players, and and so I'm 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 curious how y- you feel about that side of it or that that angle of it, and then how you had to manage those players because people don't want you know there's certain players that don't want to be labeled as or be playing in a division three, they want to be playing in a first division, so that's that's an important yeah. part of it. And that that was the biggest learning experience for me that year was the managing of their the players' emotions going through that because, like you said, we did lose some players. We lost Kalen Ryden to Real Monarchs. We lost um, a couple of others. You know that that felt like doing a year in in MPSL with the Armada would have really affected their careers. Um, so we were we were willing to honour their contracts, but we were also also okay with accepting that that players. You know, if they have other options, they're probably going to want to take it at this point. You know, if they're USL options, they're probably going to take it. You know, we lost Jack Blake to Tampa Bay Routers. Um, Jack was on a, you know, we had a BFP plan for Jack. He just won Young Player of the Year with us. You know, NSL Young Player of the Year the previous season. He was going to be the captain. There was, there was big plans for Jack, and he, he decided it's his best interest to go and, you know, stay in, you know, the pro game, if you will. And we, it was tough to see that happen. But we, we had to understand players' emotion. Then there were some guys that stayed because they wanted to, because they believed in what we were doing. And, was, and then there were some guys that stayed because they had to. They didn't really have any other, other options in that time. And they had to try and keep their career alive by just playing and make a little bit of money to get through, you know, the, the, the month. So 
that was the hardest part in managing players' expectations, players' emotions. There was there was there was some very good days, and then there was some very bad days in terms of you know the, the, the just the temperature of the locker room. And for no no particular reason, it wasn't like anything had happened on that day or that evening. It's just some days players were positive about it, and then I went through that myself. I'd come in some days really positive and energized, and other days I'd come in and you feel, oh man, this is tough. You know, it's not fair or. What's going to happen? And, and those questions start to resonate and, and, and kind of come to the front of your mind and you start to worry. And, and we're all human beings at the end of the day. And that, that's what I probably, you know, you hear coaches say that and, play, and, and leaders say that all the time. You know, you're not coaching soccer players. You're coaching people. You're coaching men that have feelings and emotions and families. And that year really emphasized that to me, that, that it wasn't about, managing the football side of it somebody was it was about managing them as, as people and and as men that have to provide for their wife and kids and, and 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 reassuring them and constantly having those conversations and that was the biggest part of, of that year um you know we had some very good players in the field at MPSL well so did Miami FC that's why we we were one and two in the division and they just you know they went and won it in the end but you know we had some very good players you know Yuma Jerome Meshack, Connor Doyle, John Nambarajo, you know, the, <laughs> we, we, we put together, you know, JC Banks stayed, you know, he's now at Madison and, you know, home is like, we have some really good players and managing the, just the morale of that group, even though they were good men, they, it, there was days when you could feel it where they were, they were starting to question it and wondering what they were doing and, do they need to start looking at other options? And we were always very open and honest with them. Um, and we we made it we made it as much about just what we were doing from a football standpoint, how we were playing, how we were getting better, how we were not just challenging ourselves, but challenging like the, the the limits of the game. You know, like so we did some really interesting things. Like you know, I think that just kept that kept the spirit alive a little bit. You know, we had a couple of good results in Open Cup, which kept that going a little bit. So. We just had to find different outlets to, to keep the guys' morale high because the emotion, the emotion of that season were tough because, again, they were all professionals. We all wanted to, to, to go onto, you know, good things in our career and see our families and provide. And, and there was times it felt like that was disappearing and there was times it felt like you're on the right track. So it was just really a day-to-day thing. Yeah, and it's and it's different than than most footballing situations where you know if you're looking at the Premier League or Bundesliga, La Liga, whatever, where the players kind of con- in a way control their own destiny. When you know if they if they win, th- they're okay. But even in your guys' case, if, if you guys could have won everything, and you, you, at the end of, and at the end of the day, you still didn't have control over over what would have happened. Yep, 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 absolutely. And that's 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 um. I've been having this conversation a lot lately with, you know, Fresno in the USL. You know, I don't you've seen Fresno, uh, you know, that, that their sustainability for next year is, is on the rocks a little bit, and they're not sure if they're going to be able to keep... Fresno said that, you know, they've been alive for two years. They've, they've, they've made the playoffs this year. They were second in the league. You know, they had a lot of success in the field, but that doesn't translate to sustainability where it does in other countries, and that's, that is tough. And like I so said, we could have won everything in the NSL in the next season still been out of the league, out of jobs, out of football. And that, that, that was tough to accept. Yeah. How, how much did you know about 
that situation that you were that you were going into when you took that position um and I guess maybe, maybe Mark, if I could yeah. back up too, because I don't know, I don't know this about you. I, I don't know how long you've been in the United States. I don't know how long you've been coaching here. I don't know any of that. So I don't know if you came, you know, fresh off the boat to NASL, <laughs> like didn't know anything about it, or if you've been here for twenty five years. I've been here for ten years now. I came over when I was quite young and, and did some soccer camps and, and club work and DLC work, that type of stuff. And that in, in Orlando, and then Orlando City came into town. Um, in the USL and not coming from pro clubs in England. I just wanted to be back in that pro club environment. So I got involved with Orlando City, worked in their academy, was their DA coach for a couple of years, had some real good success in the DA level. Obviously got got fairly close to Agent Heath and I had a good relationship with him from from the pro standpoint was was watching as much as possible, trying to learn and so I had a good idea of the landscape of US soccer and then, you know, Jacksonville, not far up the up the road from Orlando, two hours north came into NASL, then I got familiar with the NASL and and then started to understand well, where does NASL and USL and MLS fit, all fit into this? What, what's that landscape look like? How do you navigate that? And So I, I had, a, had a familiarity with the levels and the sanctioning and, and what was what. Um, you know, and and so I, and I, when I, when I moved up to Jacksonville and got involved with the NASL team and, and, and as an assistant coach and then an interim head coach and then as, as the head coach, I felt that that the league was going to be okay. You know, when I took that job at the start of 2017, and even though it was an 18 league, there was a lot of good things happening behind the scenes. You know, the, the, there was a new commissioner in place. There was various things. The clubs were good clubs. You know, there was a lot of money in the league from an ownership standpoint. So I felt that they were going to pick up a couple more teams and, and, and kind of, get back to growing soccer again in that league and so I started at the start of the season the league was in a good place and then you know you hear rumours as the season's going on that it might not be and then you hear you hear San Francisco Deltas were probably going to pull out at the end of the season because they were in that and you're like you start to do the math right okay that's seven teams if we and then it just becomes you know you can't keep losing teams and keep keep playing you know what I mean and it's hard to keep adding teams every year because you've lost, you know, you've lost teams. So I think when the Deltas said that they had all, I guess, ran out of money or, or couldn't sustain it anymore, and I think then everyone kind of starts looking out for themselves. Okay, well, what does that mean for us, either as a club or individually? And you know, but at the start of the season, it was it was pretty positive to be honest. The start of the season was positive for everybody. I'm curious how all of this impacted the way that you made your next decision which was ultimately to go to El Paso what like what 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 about your all your previous experience in the United States you know led you to look for what you ultimately ended up finding um I loved what I was doing I loved being the head coach of of of, of a good group of players with a good group of men um and and I want to just keep getting better as a coach. I feel like I've got, I have a lot to offer players, a lot, a lot to offer clubs from the type of football that I want to play, from the development level. I think I believed I could bring success playing that way and, and, you know, really grow a club. And, and, and so I want to continue with that. And I could have stayed at Jacksonville. I could still be at Jacksonville right now, kind of, kind of going through, you know, 
the process that they're going through, but I want to be back in 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 a in a level where I could really grow as a coach again. Um, so and 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 frankly, it was this might sound funny, but <laughs> the NPSL season is obviously quite short, so we didn't play that many games. And by the end of you know by August, it's kind of done. And I remember sitting at home in like all you know July, August, kind of Saturday night, you put on the USL games. And I'll be watching it, and I just begin angry. You know, I begin <laughs> frustrated. Like, why aren't I involved in this? Why aren't we involved in this? You know, some of the things that you see happening from a football standpoint, like, oh, you know, we can we can help this get better. Like, it was it was tough. So I just those emotions got to the point where you know, my my wife will tell you it was just not fun being around me at times. So it was really a a life decision, a personal decision that, you know, I gotta find a way to get out of this funk and the only way I can kinda of do that is to get back at the level I wanna be at. You know, whether that you know, look, I said earlier, the the level it is it is a level on paper, you know, division one, division two, professional soccer. We could have put a great team together at Jacksonville, you know, pro players, high level players, but not being considered pro. So a little bit was about the perception of it. Um I want to kinda of get back into that that arena. And, and, and show people what, you know, find what I could do as a coach. You know, I felt like I'd done a little bit of that. I'd had a taste of it. People had a taste of me and what I could, what type of football I could play and what we could do. I wanted to get back in that arena and it was frustrating watching those games on a Saturday night and then the playoffs. And I've got a lot of friends coaching the USL. You know, Darren Powell at Santos, good friend, Anthony Poulis at St. Louis, a good friend. We go back to the Lemon City days and kind of wanted to be back in there with them and competing with them and, and, and then, you know, Enjoying that 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 arena, that arena, that competitive arena. Um, I didn't want to be out of it for too long, and I also felt, I also know that that football's a very fickle game. You can be the flavor of the month one minute, but then you, if you kind of disappear for too long, you get forgotten about. I didn't want to. I was worried about being forgotten. Um, I know what the life of a coach is like. If you're out of a job too long, then it's hard to get back into it. So I just felt like I was still had a little bit of traction, a little bit of momentum, and my name was still out there, you know, so I felt like I had to strike on that, and, and if I've got another couple of years out doing it, mate, it would be harder for me to get a job if I needed to, so, you know, and El Paso was a phenomenal opportunity, it's a great town, really exciting things happening here, so I, it was something that when, when that came about and was offered, I, I was all over it, really. It's awesome, and... and- some of the things I, I've written down, I, I wrote down angry and frustrated and underlined those because the way you said them, it was like it, it was so just open and honest. You know, it's like that's that's you know, that was those are real emotions that you feel as you sit at home and you watch a game from yourself. You're like, I can do better than that. Yeah, that's how it felt. And I just wanted to, I felt like it had been, you know, what you said earlier, it had been taken away. And that wasn't anything that I did. It wasn't like I, if I lose again, I, I say to my players, if we lose, let it be my fault. I want it to be my fault. There's nothing worse than losing a game and it being like, we didn't deserve that or, or, or we played well. Like, if we're going to lose, I want, I want it to be my fault that we lost. I want, I want, then, then I can really put, put my finger up. You know what I mean? I can say, we lost because I, as a coach, didn't do this or I selected the wrong formation or I got my tactics wrong. Then I can fix that. And then if you have that control and that ability, then then... And, and back yourself. Everything's going to be okay. But when it's out of your control, 
So when you lose a game or lose a job or lose a club and it's out of your control, it's really hard to accept, you know. So and I went through that a lot. That I can't accept this, I okay, from a personal standpoint. I can't accept the situation I'm in right now when I feel like I've done a lot, sacrificed a lot from a professional and personal level to get to where I was. And all of a sudden it was kind of snatched away. I just couldn't accept that. And that that really did affect my home life. It affected a lot of things, you know. So, you know, I had to find a way to get back into it. And then that was the bottom line. <laughs> if, you, if you can kind of just imagine, you know, being in, in the same spot that you're in now, like, you know, three, four, five years down the road, do, do you imagine yourself being satisfied or do you imagine that you, you're going to want to continue to push the limits? As far I'm as like, what, what, yeah. say it again, sorry. Um, I, I'll, I'll never be satisfied with anything. That's, that's, it's, I don't know if it's a character flaw or a character strength. I'm not sure. Um, I, I find it hard to ever be satisfied or happy with anything. Um, there's always things that eat away at me. Even if we win a game, we, you know, we just secured playoffs this weekend, this past, sorry, this past Tuesday night. And, I couldn't really enjoy that moment because there was things in the game, there was things that happened. You know, I, I, I'll never be truly satisfied. So I don't know where that's going to lead me. You know, that frankly, that could, and I might have to accept this, that might lead to me in five, six, seven years not coaching anymore. That might lead to me being at the highest level as a coach. That I don't know where that's going to go. I don't know where that emotional, that character trait is going to take me. Um... I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a little scary because I, it's, it's, I can't just be content with what's happening or, or where I am in life. And it drives my wife crazy because we have two kids now. And she's like, you've got to think of the kids. You know, we can't, you know, it's, <laughs> I get that. I do get that side of things. At some point, you've got to pick a home, right? You've got to pick that, like, consistency to living and, and, and raising children. But that's, that's tough because I, I go after challenges. You know, I I chase challenges and I'm never content with anything or satisfied with anything. And, and I don't know if I ever will be. So like I said, I don't know where that's going to take me. If I, if I feel like I can never find that here, then I might not be coaching in five or six years. And that's just the career that, I, that I've had and, and, and who I am as a person. And, and I, I, I'm going to have to accept that. I'll figure out a way to change. I don't know. Are are no, knowing everything that you know now? Again, I'm, I'm kind of coming back to you know your crazy experience. You you had a crash course in American soccer politics. You were right in the mix of it. Um, you know, knowing knowing all that stuff that that you know now, are are you optimistic about your ability to to continue to climb the ladder as a coach in this country? Yeah, I am. I am because I do have faith in football. I, I have to have that. I have to have this belief that football itself will be enough whether that's as a player as a coach as a club you know success of the club success of the coach that playing the, the right way approaching the game the right way building a reputation the right way will be enough and, and I have to believe that. I don't know whether I'm just a romantic I don't know but I I have to believe that that's going to be enough to, to keep climbing the ladder or you know achieve your dreams and aspirations whatever they may be and and, you know, I, I've seen a little, you know, the last couple of years with Gio Savarese going to Portland, Mark, Mark De Santos going to Vancouver. You know, I competed against those two. I think we played, because there was such a condensed season, only 18, I think I played Cosmos five times with Gio and, and 
starters four times. So we have some great battles. Now, they're in MLS doing well, and 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 you have you know James O'Connor had a little taste of this last past year. But understand that he deserved it. He did incredible things at Louisville. So there there there, 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 there is some penetration there. There there is there is there are coaches going from Division Two, Division One, USL to MLS. It's, it's t- it's tough. It's a tough way to go, but it's there. And I just have to believe that playing the football the right way, treating players and people the right way, will be enough to to get there. And and I've always say, you know, that I don't get too wrapped up on coaching in MLS. I, you know, it's 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 part of the the, the dream, I, I guess. But the, the top level could be anywhere in the world. Football's such a, a global game. It's 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 a beautiful thing like that where. You're so connected worldwide. It's not just restricted communities or countries. You know, down here in El Paso, we're on the border of Mexico. We're on the border of Central and South America. It's like, you know, there's, there's Europe. There's ways. There's ways to get that satisfaction out of the game through various routes and channels. And, and so I'm not restricted to, to one. I just want to. I just I just want to do football the right way and play the right way. And 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 obviously. This has been the hard part for me to, to to not get my head around because I know it's it's a results business. But finding a way, I have to get results, obviously for the club or a special team. But for me, to I have to get results. But I'm not going to go about that the wrong way. I'm not going to I'm not going to choose a style of play that's just results based. I'm going to I'm going to approach that and attack that with. The football will always come first. The way we play will always come first. The performance will always come first before a result. Um, and I just got to hope that, that focusing on that is enough to get results and enough to open doors and, and, and raise some eyebrows and, 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 and get attention on, 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 on football. And I'll never change. That'll always be kind of my, my, my thought and my focus. That's so funny that you mentioned that you mentioned style of play there at at the very end of that because I have your Twitter uh, feed pulled up and I have I'm looking directly at a tweet where you said one of my proudest moments as a coach was last night. We love beautiful soccer, but we also love grit, discipline, and desire. And that weather, two delays against a very good team, the concentration and defensive discipline was off the charts. And then right below that, you retweeted. I'm I'm assuming it's somebody from from your club that said uh, that's called huevos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's finding that balance, you know, that that between the grit and which which the top teams have at the end of the day, you know, that the Man Cities, the Liverpools, that there's quality football there, but there's an intensity, right? There's a there's, there's a determination to win at all costs, to to run through brick walls, to tackle, to win second ball, and I think I have, I know I'm going to go off base here, but that I think that's a fundamental problem with with with, with Soccer in the U.S. at the the academy and the youth levels, it's too too much focuses on technique. There's not enough players now that can can do both in terms of dribble past the guy, receiving tight areas, receiving the pressure, and then go win a tackle, win a second ball, track a runner, block a shot. You know, one v one descending. Those things are critical. You know, it, and and it, it's forgotten about at times. Everyone's so interested in the beautiful soccer and and, and do and the tricks and. And, and young players now, it's not their fault. It's what they're exposed to, whether it's through social media, through the, the, what coaches are giving them at the youth level, that they're more interested in nagging a guy and not getting the ball on the other side as opposed to just doing the right thing at the right time and, and, and getting the job done. I, 
I love beautiful soccer. I love dribbling. I, I we're a possession-based team, but but if we don't have the effort first and the desire, then the, the possession and the tricks and the flicks are irrelevant. We're going to lose the game. And at the end of the day, at, at, at some point, at youth soccer, the, 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 the switch has to flick on, we're going to go win a game. You're going to learn how to win a game. And if that means you're number 10, tracking back and blocking a shot on the edge of his box, then that's what he has to do. And then at the other end of the field, receiving under pressure, doing a turn, and putting one top corner, he has to do that as well. So I think he gets lost sometimes. So I'm very big, and we drill it every day with our players, the fundamentals of defending. Let's get that part right first. And, and then we have a chance of winning games. Our football will then go win us the game, but we can't go concede two goals because we were lazy defensively and expect to go win the game. That's not going to happen. That, that won't happen at any decent level. So, do you see how Man City defend, how Liverpool defend? It's phenomenal. That's why they're top of the league. Yeah, they play great soccer and score goals, but they're top of the league because of their defensive records and the way they press and work. It's phenomenal. Yeah, they, they, it's it's uh, beautiful and nasty at the same time. Like, beautiful when they have the ball, and then as soon as they lose it, doesn't matter what team you're talking about, Barcelona, Liverpool, Man City, they're nasty without the ball. And and you have to you have to have both absolutely have to have both. Uh, let me ask one more question. I, I ask this question to everybody, um, everybody that comes on the podcast. So I have I don't know 150 uh, answers to this question, which I think is pretty cool. I'll do something with it someday. Um, uh, what do what do people need to know? And you can answer that from whatever angle you want, coaching, uh, political, um, you know, whatever's happening with your team now. But what what do people need to know from your perspective? That's a really good question. Um, and when we, we talk about this a lot as a staff here and frustrations that we have with, with well, I, I, I guess American soccer in general, the frustrations we have, I, People don't know what they don't know, though. And that, that's the problem. You don't know what you don't know. I, not enough in, in this, whether it's from uh, the fan bases of clubs, the media, the, the ownerships, the, 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 the front offices. I think you go through all of those kind of, kind of groups. Not enough focus is put on the type of football that's played. I think and I think that's because people don't know what they don't know. I don't think fan bases in this country, are, and I think it's a generational thing, I think this will change but it might not be in our lifetime. The, the current g- generation of fans, right, let's say they're average 18, 30 and 40, right? So when they were learning football, you know, they might not have learned football for a start. They might just be a fan that turned up and loves going to a game for a, a social aspect. But if they did learn football, and if they played as a kid, as a youth player, 20, 30 years ago, they weren't taught the real game, so they don't know the real game. Um, so they don't value the, the type of football that's played. They focus solely on results, and I think there's a way to get both. Well, I, I know for a fact there's a way to get both. It's why... And it, it's why clubs in Europe, and I'm, I'm not so much sure about South Central America, I'm sure this happens though. The club has a philosophy, and that dictates the type of coach they go get. So, so there's a value there already in the type of football that we're going to play. And that's kind of, you know, uh, in their DNA. 
you know, it's built in. I, I just, I want people in this country to, and I said, whether it's all those different groups, right? The, the, the media, the fans, the, the, the ownerships, the, the whoever, to, to, to oh, yeah, value football, recognize type of football, understand what that means, and, and, and obviously then it, it does have to generate results and enjoy that as well, but I, I want, I want, I want fan bases to turn, I want fans to go to games for the football. I want people to go to games for the football. I want, I want, you know, coaches and players to, to get jobs and play for the football. And I don't think that happens a lot in this country when you look at it. It's probably more in the stadiums, right? When you look at the, the empty stadiums, whether it's MLS, USL, like, there's not, Five, six, seven thousand people still in the state in USL coming for the football, and and that that's that that that, that hurts me. So I've, I've grown up in England where people go to games for the football and they recognise when the teams play well or haven't played well, and there's not enough recognition of that here. Um, you know, and that that's that that's tough sometimes to see. You know, I I, I want people to enjoy the game and go to games and and and, and value the football, the other type of football that's played over anything else. And let, let us focus on trying to find a way to get results, right? Just go and enjoy the type of football that's played. It's, you're, you're, you're in the same realm of something I've been, I've been tweeting about pretty much all day, but it's soccer education and soccer development is really what we need the most of in this country, not coaching education, not player development, not... Exactly, um, yeah, 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 100%. As a as a as a whole nation, we need we need soccer development, and and that starts with yeah education and, and recognizing the you know the football, and that's important. Yeah, yeah, it's not coach education; it's soccer education. I don't know. I like I said, I think it's I, I think that's going to happen organically. I don't think there's a course for that. I, don't think a, I think it's it's the current the current pro players or the current youth players that are now getting to better coaching, understanding what good football is, becoming the next fan base. I'm filling the stadiums because of, of, of the title football. I think it's a generational thing. Yeah, I think I think you're right, actually. Um, yeah. Where where can people connect with you on social media? Where can they where can they follow your work? And then where can they connect with uh, with El Paso as well? Um, my Twitter handle at Coach Mark Lowry. Um, El Paso Locomotives at EP Locomotive SC, I believe, on Twitter. Um, I only do Twitter. I don't do Facebook. I think there's there's so many ways that you can get kind of caught up in that stuff. I like Twitter. I, I like kind of what that, the connection that brings uh, in the football community. And so that's the best way to kind of see what's going on with me. And, you know, I try and I try and be, be active on there, uh, whether it's liking other people's work. or oh, I think it's a great way to learn. I think Twitter's a great educational platform, you know, and, and, and I use it a lot for that, to be honest. And, and I learn a lot of things, see a lot of sessions, a lot of good things on there that I go and use myself. Right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. 
That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. So once again, if you are an ambitious coach and you want to start learning the tried and true methods that have already been proven to work in the American soccer environment, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.